to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Making Laps Podcast. I am your host, Brent Gleason. Our show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. We're back on Stitcher finally and Anchor. I finally got around to making an Instagram page. It is at Making Laps Podcast. I tried to make a Twitter account. It completely failed. But we are also on Facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. First off, I want to send well wishes out to Timmy Salamito after his wreck in the Allentown uh, TQ Midget Race. And I uh, hope he's doing well. I heard on Facebook that he's doing pretty well. Today we have our co-host back to, again, uh, Phil Jakes. He was back on the last episode where I was a complete mess by the end of it. At least we had one sober person in the room. And today we have our first guest sitting in studio. It is Nicola Rose. Nicola, how, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. You're fresh off of uh, the Enlaro Photo sponsor draw this weekend. Uh, give us a little bit of insight as to what uh, the uh, that draw is, and uh, I've heard you've also begun a new uh, tenure at the Tri-Track uh, series. Yes, um, I'll start with the drawing that happened on Friday night. Uh, so during the racing season, I print these calendars out of pictures that I take at the track all season and sell them, and when you buy one, you can enter a driver's name you know, to go on a ticket into this big raffle and, um, you know, the names all go into a spreadsheet so you can keep track of how many entries each driver has. There's no strict criteria. There's drivers in there from Bandolero drivers to the Wheel and Modify Tour. Everyone needs money, so uh, I try to keep that pretty open to anyone who wants to enter. This year we had 427 different drivers and over a thousand tickets. So it was pretty exciting on Friday night to see who would end up winning that. Jeez. Yeah. We all need money, right, Phil? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Story of my life is not having money and trying to race. It doesn't work very well. No. <laughs> so uh, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's get on to lap number one. So for lap number one today, we have an interview here with Nicola Rose, who you heard earlier. Um, we've already been over... The basics of your like photography draw and the tri track role, but uh, can you go a little bit more in depth? Like, how did you get started with your like photography program? Well, completely on accident. Um, I started going to the track a lot more when my dad went back racing in 2015, I believe, and I got a GoPro for Christmas, and I was just you know trying it out and taking a bunch of pictures of cars and stuff posting them on Facebook, and they were terrible, so I really don't know why they got the traction that they did at the time, but, um, you know, people started sharing them, and I started experimenting with some editing stuff for my pictures, and then it just kind of blew up, and the next, I think two years later, two seasons later, uh, we decided to go ahead and try out the calendar deal. It was super small when it first started compared to now. Um, I think I printed like 250 or something and sold those, did my first sponsorship drawing, which was only 2500 bucks, and that went to Chase Dowling. And then the next year, kicked it up to five grand. Josh Hedges won that, who's a late model driver up at Star. He ended up winning the championship that season. And then it, you know, kind of became an actual thing and got a real camera somewhere in there. 
and uh, this is everything else is history. Hmm. So do you have people come on as like sponsors to contribute to this sponsorship draw, like businesses that might buy advertising space in your calendars as well? Or Yes, I do sell um, pages to businesses. This year I had 16 different sponsors, and I had um, New England Race Fuels hop on board and give away 25 gallons of race fuel to the winner to you know make it a little bit bigger than last year. And um, I had Crazy Horse Racing and Natural Designs uh, donate gift cards to the winner as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of different options. I'm always looking for sponsors to come on and make the program even bigger for the upcoming year. So I've heard you also got a new uh, position with TriTrack. Uh, what exactly does that entail? Is it like a social media role, or is it kind of a little bit more broad of a spectrum than that? It's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades <laughs> kind of role. Um, so social media, for sure, is a big one. I'm running all their social media now. Um, as well as trying to get our website completely redone and more interactive. So, um, you know, we'll be eventually doing driver profiles and stuff like that. Um, and just what we had before really needs to be completely redone. Um, as well as social media, we didn't really have anything, no Instagram account or anything. So I had to make all of that and the Twitter is non-existent at the moment. So that's going to be up and running soon. And, um, as well as looking for sponsorship, that's a big role of mine as well. Um, we're trying to get a lot more incentives for the drivers this year and we need some partnerships with, um, some brands. We got Pepsi. That was not my doing. That was Wayne Darling. But um, that was super exciting to announce that we're going to be partnering with Pepsi for this season. And, yep, just making a sponsorship proposal right now and trying to get it out to some businesses. Oh, excellent. Mm. Now, back in the day, uh, I remember your father racing when I was growing up. Well, not really growing up, per se. I was already, you know, kind of a kid at the time. And I remember going to Waterford. I remember going to Thompson, seeing him race against guys like Barnett and Glenn Boss and all that. And about about 2002 was about a third year in racing and we went to Thompson and we had to compete against that damn yellow 97 car <laughs> and um I've told you before but he we got our butts handed to us by him on more than one occasion but I wanted to share a few memories of Big Earn with you oh boy <laughs> <laughs> Now, in 2002, like I said, it was my brother's first season at Thompson. We had just built a brand new car. We had a brand new engine in it. We didn't really know that much about the track, so we were we were getting there. But his my brother's first win came that year when Ernie and Mike Cavanaugh went off into turn one at the Pepsi. I want to say 150. It was the Bush North race. And Cavanaugh was on the bottom, and he slid up with the back end and knocked Ernie in the left rear. Ernie went spinning, my brother went through the smoke, and passed both of them and ended up winning. And I remember my brother backing it into, well, I remember video of it because I'm such a bad person, that I was actually at OzFest in Hartford at the Meadows, and I got a text saying that he'd won his first race, and I wasn't there. So you can see how bad of a person I am. (laughs) But I saw the video, and people were booing uh, because of the finish, but not because my brother won. They were booing Mike because they spun Ernie out or vice versa or something like that. So I'm sure your dad probably has sore memories about that one. And I, <laughs> and a few, 
a few years later, or at least around that time, I remember him having, uh, or Ernie having like bad hub failures, like the front end, like the right front would break. And he went in the wall at least two or three times in a, a couple weeks. And people were, this is one of those commentaries on, oh, well, he's running lightweight parts. People, that was the, that was the scuttlebutt in the like pit area was because he's a successful and anybody who's successful is going to have those cheating rumors flying around. Phil and I have been through it. Ernie's been through it. My brother's yeah. been through it. Barnett, Sunday, name anybody in any division, they're going to go through it. As soon as you win a race, you're illegal. Right. But that was the thing is people were saying, oh, well, they're cutting the hubs down and they're making them all lightweight. But it's like, no, we didn't have things like safety hubs back then. He was running stock stuff, got a bad batch of parts, and put the car in a wall twice because it wasn't his fault. But I, he probably remembers that. He probably wouldn't want me to remind him. <laughs> and I'll share one more memory, which is only from a couple years ago because it stuck with me for quite a while, and it still sticks with me today. I was in line to get my photo taken at the icebreaker because you got to wear your fire suit and go and get your photo taken and all that. Ernie bumps into me in the photo line, and he's like, hey, I picked you to win the title this year. And I said, gee, thanks. I needed that pressure. <laughs> I'm like, because from racing with him for so long and the respect that I had for him, I'm like, crap, Ernie thinks I can win the title. That's a big deal. I'm like, I got to win the title. So go, so what do I do? Second race out, I win the biggest race of the year. And I'm like, good. I'm going to fulfill this for Ernie. Guess what? I got thrown out. <laughs> And no surprise, it's not my fault. It's Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'll defend that till the day I die that it was not my fault and I knew nothing about it because if I did, I wouldn't have run it because I'm not like that. But the shame that I felt after that DQ because I felt like I left Ernie down more than anybody else still sticks with me to this day because of the respect I had for that man for what he could do in a race car. So those are a few memories that I wanted to share with you about him. He might have lost a few dollars in a bet. I guarantee he did because I ended up finishing second in points that year, even getting DQ'd. I still won the most races that year, though. Yeah, I didn't mean, like, no surprise that you got DQ'd. I meant, like, no surprise that Thompson, like, DQ'd you. No, I don't. Yeah, I get it. It's fine. They did their job. That's fine. I, I don't blame them at all. Do you have any memories of Ernie, Phil? The the only thing I don't know Ernie very well. I've met him in passing a few times, and he's made a couple comments to me. And one of the things, growing up, I used to watch him. I used to always, you could always see his car going through the corner, it would wiggle. Oh yeah. And one thing he told me is the way he used to drive, and that always kind of stuck with me. And I I kind of modeled how I drove a sportsman car after that. And he came over to me one day and he patted me on the back. He says, "I see you're learning." so that's that's really my only ernie memory that's kind of like that kind of reminds me of Corey hutchins and how he drives because he drives the car it's always a little bit sideways because it's driving off the right rear so hard right you watch him to this day i mean he's down at dylan we have the dylan feed in the studio right now studio dining room whatever but he drives it off the right rear and you can always it always looks the same no matter what car he's driving it's just a little bit sideways i always loved that we actually used to root for you, Phil. When I was getting back into racing, but I was a nobody, because I was like 15, 16, um, we used to sit in the stands at Thompson. You're like, what, 17 now? I'm, I'm 19 <laughs> turning 20. But I 
I don't know, became known pretty quick. Way to make like two years. Thanks for making me feel old because I think I'm twice your age. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know I at least had one fan. Good. Yeah, I wasn't I'm your fan. <laughs> Even though I blocked Waterman so you could win your first race? I was running away from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. No, I appreciate it. And he still doesn't believe me that I was a cylinder down when he beat me at the World Series, but I could have knocked that plug wire off in tech and not known it. Maybe I was on all eight. I'll give you a little credit. We still had a half lap on the whole field. Right. And we were running over lap cars. Okay, now we're reminiscing instead of getting... <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> oh. All right, let's get on to lap number two. For lap number two this week, we're going to revisit the Thompson segment that I drunkenly rambled on about last week. Uh, I probably said a bunch of stuff that wasn't true. Probably spread a lot of rumors that really weren't true either. Um, so... I'd like to revisit a lot of that. I think I made a comment about them buying a dealership, but I think that was kind of a little premature and kind of stupid because <laughs> I don't think they actually did. I could, I, Of all the research that I did, I've never been able to find that, so I'd like to retract that statement. Uh, I did find that they bought two golf courses, but that's a completely different business. You can't tie everything into one you know, certain entity. That's not really smart business practice, you know, at least... What do you think? I mean, I don't think it's a smart business practice to do, so that's that's why they wouldn't do it, right? No, I think keeping the, the golf course separate from the oval and the road course and all that is probably the best way to operate any business like that. You can keep track of your financials better that way. Would it be a good idea to keep like the road course separate from the oval or kind of run them separately under the same umbrella? One aspect of it is they're both motorsports, so they kind of fall under the same umbrella, but at the same time, they both have different business models. Yeah, see, it's just kind of confusing because it's on the same property. Right. You know what I mean? But then, then again, the golf course could be the same property, too. It's just across the street. It's probably all part of the same farm that they tilled out in 1940. I mean, so, again, it's really it's really easy for the common racer to just kind of think the worst or think their own opinion. You know what I mean? Because it's very easy. to. There's so many different avenues that people can go down to think that they're just kind of doing what they want with whatever property, you know, they have. So it's, it, especially with people who don't have, yeah, if you can hear my cat yowling in the background, I apologize, but there's no way to shut him up without being mean. A bullet might work. Yeah, but you're not a cat person and I am. <laughs> and I'm not going to lock him in the, in the bathroom or something because that's just mean too. But anyway, um, a lot of people, like I said, it, it's easy to, to think the wrong thing because the the big rumor, like I mentioned last week, was that the golf course garage burned down that many years ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was. And that they jacked up the price of the admission to help pay for it. And I mentioned something about insurance. But again, that's how rumors get started. You know, that's kind of, that's that's the problem. If they're separate business entities and they jack the purse up for that, it's really easy for people to to start making up their own ideas. And that's that's another reason why people might not be coming is because they create their own separate reality from what is actually happening right now. Right. It's, it's easy to stand on the outside and, and assume. There is something going on in our division, which is a good example of that. It's a perceived, I would call it an, a perceived ethics violation. And I won't name names, but everybody knows who it is. Somebody sponsors the racetrack, races in our division, and is very successful. 
So people tend to think, hey, this guy's getting favors from the racetrack, or this person's cheating, or this and that. And so people actually drive themselves away from the racetrack by coming up with these, you know, ideas in their own head. But they don't have any proof of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I understand why it might look like that to some people because a certain person does win a lot of races. And it could be easily perceived as favoritism. But I don't believe that that's the case. Again, it all it all boils down to what's reality and what can you prove. Absolutely. If you, you know? can't prove it, then no, is it real? As As racers, I mean, we have... We have to be bound by due diligence and fairness as well. I mean, if we can't prove anything, then all we're doing is hurting the sport by, you know, not showing up or causing rumors or doing something just stupid, you know? I mean, anybody who's worked their way to success has been both, you know, on both sides. And as and I mean, we should know better than to get sucked into having that kind of situation, you know? So, I mean, there's always something perceived, that could always cause a problem. And branching off of that, the racers, and they have to be more proper or professional online. Yes. Social that's media a, is that's a big a, deal. It's a huge problem because when a racer gets, let's say, disqualified or has a bad night or gets a bad call or perceives somebody to be cheating or something negative might be happening in their mind, most of the time they'll jump online and say something about it but they won't actually have any proof of it happening. Well, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it, from a racer's mouth, that eventually does get back to the fans. Or people talking gets back to the fans, and that could make fans not show up. And that's a lot of the problem, too. A lot of people in short track racing follow their favorite drivers on social medias. Yes. I follow a ton of drivers on social media, even though I am a driver and owner. You know, I mean, Nicole probably follows every single driver. <laughs> I follow you, Brent. <laughs> You follow me on the racetrack, too. <laughs> Not at the World Series in 2016. Yeah, that's one race. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but when I was, when it was early on in my sportsman career, and when Josh Venata was actually, that was pretty epic. He almost fell into the car. We're watching, <laughs> if anybody. Oh, double throw. I really, Sorry, really got to get the video of what just happened at Dillon, but a mini stock guy who <laughs> is rather out of shape tried to throw his steering wheel Round at somebody. Round is a shape. Round is a shape. So he is in shape, but he fell almost into a car. It was like a slide. <laughs> yes, yeah, like pretty. Sliding into home base. That was pretty bad. But anyway, um, back when I first started in Sportsman, when Josh Renata was running Thompson Speedway, I got really angry about some perceived indiscretion that they had, like, perpetrated upon me. And I went on Twitter and said something about it. And, like, five minutes later, Josh comes wheeling up in his golf cart to my pit. And he starts yelling at me about it. And to be honest with you, he wasn't out of line. I don't feel like he was out of line. Because that was stupid for me to say something. He says, why didn't you just come to me? And I was like, you're right. Why didn't I come to you? Like, why didn't I ask you, like, if you could help me out? He's like, I could have put you out there with the outlaw sportsman or somebody, anybody for a practice. Because what happened was I drove up for practice. And as I was driving out, the guy closed the gate, like, in my face as I was driving out. Like, I was following a car out. The guy shuts the gate. So I'm like, well, okay, why didn't this? And he's, like I said, he was right. 
I should have talked to him about it. But, I mean, I'm sure that both of you probably see something said by somebody any time during the racing season where it's something completely off the wall, negative, or it's going to hurt the sport, and it's kind of unnecessary. I'll admit I've done it myself. Yeah. Was it the right thing to do? Absolutely not. Sometimes you say stuff in the heat of the moment, and you really don't think about it, and that's, I think, one of the problems with technology today is you have that outlet and that ability to, to just run your mouth, and you really need to be cognizant of the fact that that can hurt you more than it can help you. Yeah. I mean, how many people here have unfollowed somebody because of the, they've been saying dumb stuff? I have felt blocked on Twitter, actually. Do you? I absolutely do. <laughs> really? <laughs> We're going to have to have a discussion. <laughs> I would like to know the backstory as to why that happened. I don't really remember. I think he just used to like reply to all my tweets and call me out for stuff. And I was like, I'm sick of this <laughs> woodchuck. Sounds like, like Phil. I think I've ever I made him actually done that because I don't know what your That's Twitter handle is. That's such a lie. Oh my god, such a lie. That's funny. I would block him too, but yeah. <laughs> all I do is retweet things on Twitter if anybody follows me. Phil's actually hurt. Phil's going to cry himself to sleep tonight. See, I, I, I'm one of those people on Twitter who thinks I'm funny, but I'm not as funny as I think I am. And I just keep just saying dumb stuff. So Yeah, yeah that's me too. But anyway, getting back to the Thompson... Uh, issue there's one thing i think we can all agree on and it's that there is a significant lack of advertising on probably both levels like from the track and from racers because i have every opportunity to take my car and go out to like the local hot hot dog stand across the corner when they do their thursday night like car shows i think cruise nights cruise nights car shows yeah that's what i was thinking cruise night but I'd never taken it over there. And it's literally within walking distance of my house. I'm like, why didn't I do that? Like, why didn't I get some paperwork or some flyers or something from Thompson? Some pamphlets and just throw them on the hood of the car. Like, I don't know why I didn't do that. There's a lot that we could do to really help advertise. But also, the track isn't, like I said last week, I don't see them advertising a lot. That's another problem. No, I haven't seen a lot of effort. And I don't know if that's... Someone holding back the reins on on expense of advertising, or if they've just kind of gotten away from that with their business model, or or what they believe they need to do with the advent of social media these days. And I came up with a theory on that the other day. I know that the kids who are taking over the motorsports facility are a lot more involved in the golf course side of the facility, and. With a golf course, you don't have to do a heck of a lot of advertising with because it's such a big hobby and word of mouth is huge. And you could just throw a little blurb at, you know, any little newspaper or, you know, any just a small little advertisement to say you exist is enough. A little ad on a placemat in a restaurant down the road. Yeah, that's enough for people to know that a golf course exists. In Oxford, Massachusetts, I see it all the time. Raceway Golf Club. That's it. Yeah, that's all you need for a golf course, really. Because if there's a golf course, you're going to go play at it. Because golfers love to do that. They they love to go around and go to all of them. There's River Ridge down here, ten minutes from here. Good restaurant. I go there all the time. Cheap cheap green fees. But with a racetrack, it really involves a or it really requires. A lot more community involvement in my eyes. I think that it just really has to, you got to get out so much more often. You got to have cars out at shows. You got to have advertising in newspapers. You got to throw stuff on the radio. I'll give you an example of why this rudimentary, just basic 
advertising works. I used to work for a restaurant when I was in college, delivering pizzas, <laughs> paying for tuition. And this guy never advertised. Everything he did was word of mouth. He believed in word of mouth and um, hiring attractive girls to work the front. But he was Greek. He loved that stuff. So it, great food, by the way, but it's closed. And the reason it's closed is because he didn't advertise. Nobody knew he was there. It was a little hole in the wall. Nobody knew the place except for the people who went there. And that was not enough customers. You have to keep expanding. Now, I have other friends who are in business. I should give them a plug because they used to sponsor my car, but I'm not going to because they don't sponsor the podcast. <laughs> but they know who they are. They own a business and they advertise religiously on radio, basically all the main stations around here, all the big ones, and in newspapers. And in the last uh, five years, I want to say, they've changed locations at least twice because they are growing so much that they need bigger buildings. Like they can't keep up. They have to keep getting bigger buildings in order to expand and keep their business going. I'm like, advertising works. I mean, yeah, print media has kind of, you know, gone away a little bit, but it's still there. You can still advertise. You're still going to get people coming in. Put, you know, put a flyer in the door or some local business or something, something to get eyes on the product. Get some little kid with his bicycle to go door hang. Yeah. Put a little hang, like Chinese food menus. Yes. That's <laughs> not a bad idea. I mean. I think in 2020 as a sport, we kind of need to evolve a little bit. Yeah, evolution is necessary. Is, is a big thing. And there's a lot as racers I think that we can do to help grow the sport. Because let's face it, we're the future of the sport re really. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be the ones taking over pretty soon. And especially her generation is going to be taking over pretty soon because we're going to be dropping the ball. <laughs> yeah, and, and this exactly. Nicole is a perfect example. All that she does for this sport, she doesn't have to do this. No. doesn't really benefit her too much. Now, if I look back at what I did when I was 18, I'm like, all I did was probably complain and whine about stuff. Eat Doritos and play Xbox. I didn't have Xbox. I had PlayStation. I don't think they had Xbox back then. And I was <laughs> up until probably 2 a.m. because I was going to college and flipping pizza second shift. So, yeah, I did nothing to help further the sport. <laughs> I did nothing. So we feel bad now because we have somebody a lot more industrious than us sitting in studio. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard sometimes. Like, races are their own worst enemies. Um, yes. And I agree. Yeah. Some days I'm just like, why, why do I do Like, why am I giving away this money? Like, you know, and other days it's like, yeah, I'm having a blast, but there are some times where people's actions and, you know, social media presence and ways that they present themselves make it like, why would you help these people? You know, the problem with a lot of these people and a lot of society, if I can get into like psychology, <laughs> this is this might be a little bit a little long-winded yes dr brent yes uh i'll try to keep this brief i don't try i don't i don't like going into politics or like psychology but people are ungrateful and they don't really grasp the idea that they live in probably the best time that human history has ever had you know this is the best time you've ever you've ever been alive like you have the most technology, you have the most healthcare benefits like for techno technological purposes, like cures and different procedures you can do. And like 
it you like, take I'm it trying, for granted. Yeah, you take everything taken for granted. People in this country, even the racers, everybody has to understand that we have it so good that we have to worry about getting fat. Does that make sense? Yes. That's yes, probably the best absolutely. example. Like there's people out there without clean running water their whole life. There's probably people out there with, without like electricity or medicine. And we're sitting here worried about how we can lose 10 pounds. Right. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, you got to be a lot more grateful for a lot of the stuff that comes your way. You can't just expect that tomorrow it's still going to be there. In August of 2017, I learned that my father had a terminal condition. And that woke me up. And I said, you know what? I really haven't been the best father. I haven't been the best husband. I haven't been the best person. I need to kind of take a look around and look at why my life is the way it is and what it can be in the future. And I started doing a lot of math. And I said, you know, maybe if I take a little time away from racing, it won't hurt. I'll learn to appreciate it more. And maybe I could actually do all these things that I need to do, you know? Maybe I could be a better parent. Maybe I could fix the house a little bit more because I need more storage. I need to fix the flooring. I need to do the cabinets. Just a lot of things to help make our life better. Do I need racing? No. No, I don't need racing right now. But we can sit back and and have the same thoughts about what we can do for racing as well. Right. That's why I'm... Instead of racing this year, I decided to make a podcast. Maybe I could get some word out. Maybe we could help grow the sport and gain a little bit of awareness that way. I don't know. I figured I'd try it. You know, I could show a little bit of of love back to the sport that I love. I've done it for 20 years. This is like the first time that I've ever stepped away from it while I still had equipment. Right. The only other times I've ever walked away from racing was because I didn't have equipment. Like I'd blow an engine up. I don't have equipment now. I don't have an engine. Or I had to sell all my stuff when my son was born. I didn't have anything. I didn't even have a trailer. So to to take a step back and be a little bit more grateful and get my finances back in order, and maybe everybody else could learn something from that. Maybe they could appreciate all the work that other people put in for once. Right? Right. And maybe even instead of just thinking about yourself, think about the other races too. Think about what we can do to help our respective division or everything that's going on at the track as a whole. Maybe reach out to a couple sponsors aside from what you want to gain for your car. Reach out to a couple sponsors. Hey, maybe you can throw a little bit extra into our purse. Maybe you can throw a little bit extra into the track. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've kind of softened up from last week. You know, last week I was on fire about the purse and I was all pissed off about all sorts of other stuff. But it's like, you know, it's in the long run, it's really not going to be that big of a deal. If we can just come to some kind of agreement that works for everybody, then if you can save it, let's save it. You know, let's Absolutely. just, let's do something a little bit better. So that's why I wanted to issue this entire retraction from everything that I said last week. Don't let don't go listen to last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I heard that there was some kind of a meeting at Thompson, but I don't think we could probably talk about it. Right, Phil? Members only. Well, it's it's not a members only deal. The biggest <laughs> thing is we don't want to pe- make people feel like we're excluding them. I got so. invited. I just didn't go. I think everybody was invited. I don't, I don't really think of anybody necessarily feeling like they're going to be left out. Right. Like, I just think we're we're trying to make some progress. We have open communication with Jonathan and Terry Ames, and uh, there's positive things happening, 
And uh, as information is available, we'll probably be able to talk about it a little more with more clarity. Yeah. I mean, I know I like idiotically went into like the financial situation of the track last week, but let's be fair. I, I've also said, don't listen to me. Yes. Which is a good idea. Don't listen to me. But from what I'm hearing, it's a good idea that they do this stuff and it's going to probably work out in the end, especially if we, I, I just think they just need to be a little more transparent because if you're not transparent with the racers or with pretty much anybody nowadays, they tend, like, like we said before, they tend to come up with their own ideas. Absolutely. And that's another thing. Communication from the track to the racers is going to be a huge thing, whether it's email, snail mail, uh, phone call, something. Just let us know what's going on. Keep us all in the loop. That's that's the biggest thing. And there's, there's a lot of people that feel like they're out of the loop. Sure. Call my industry snail mail. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. We are slow. We're not instant. We aren't instant gratification. You're faster than UPS. <laughs> you tell them that. Anybody have anything else to add about Thompson? No? Mm, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Hire Nicole. So what a really chat your ass if I had won the $5,000 then. No. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean since you blocked me. Maybe I would have unblocked you if you won. You gotta wait till next year. I am still recording. God damn it. <laughs> Shut it off. <laughs> Get on to lab number three. For lap number three, we're going to talk about the Waterford Speed Bowl for something positive for a change. We saw them post, what was it, around Christmas time? Or was it on Christmas? I think it was right around Christmas. That they posted something on their Instagram page, and it went to their Facebook and other stuff, right? Yeah. That it was a picture of them doing work. They were installing, what, uh, drainage tiles, something yeah, like that? Yeah, the, the manholes, the drainage. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really well read on that. My dad was an engineer for 30 years doing this stuff, and yeah, I didn't absorb any of it. <laughs> but I know they've they've had some serious problems with like the weather. Not just it wasn't like snow or anything. It was the long period of cold, and then it went above freezing, so it basically froze everything, and then thawed it back out. We had a mud cycle. Yeah, and you can't do anything in the mud cycle like that. It's like we get three mud seasons in New England. Or three to five, depends on the, how much snow we've had. But Phil was down at the Speed Bowl talking to general manager Mike Serluca yesterday, right? Yeah, I, was down, I spent about four hours down there yesterday. Saturday as of recording. But uh, I know you were down there, and what did you, not only did you see, but what could you pick up? Well, first and foremost, you walk into the place, it's noticeable that something's actually going on. And, you know, for anybody that's wondering, that's, positive news um it looks like they got all the blocks for the front of the pad um all laid in place down the front stretch the drainage is starting to go in all the conduits run looks like the electrical's in progress i don't know the specifics on that i didn't go into detail on that with him um, yeah from from what i gather you gotta lay a whole bunch of stuff out and then once you start getting the base like all the foundations and everything done and all the lines run and everything then you can start putting up like you can start finishing all the electrical once you've got everything put right. up and you got a place to put it so, and you got to put all the blocking in place just to get a foundation and stuff. So everything is in the, once you get to this phase, it doesn't look like it goes very quickly at all. Like that's the, that's the problem with this phase of construction. Right. And I think one of the things I, I, he told me was 
once the, the the pad is able to be poured, and I think they're targeting maybe I think he said February, February first, somewhere around then to have the pad poured. Once that's done, the grandstands will go up real quick. Yeah, it's all nuts and bolts. Yeah, I think they said it's a couple weeks just to get that all done, weather dependent. I want, um, does it come in sections or is it all just like an erector set and you got to put every individual piece? It kind of looked like just an erector set, like all the bleacher benches because it's all aluminum stands. They were all wrapped up and stacked on pallets. And um, I didn't go down and look at that too much. Like you said, the weather's been kind of a mess lately and, and it was rainy yesterday. So everything's wet. So I didn't really venture too far down. Um, yeah, you'll get stuck in some of that because they till it all up and they have to roll it out, but they we, haven't we done that yet. We were walking around so. in, the, in the dirt, and, and Mike actually went ankle deep right into a mud hole. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me because of how the construction is right now. But um, what else can you – like for the plans for the future, what, do you, what did you see? So one thing that was mentioned is there's a lot of very ambitious plans, and, and I think – not to knock on any any racetrack around here because every racetrack's great and unique in its own way, um, but going into the future, the Speed Bowl is probably going to be one of the nicer, just because it's going to have that new newness to it. But it's going to be one of the nicer facilities in probably all of New England. Um, they're talking about, I believe, an ambulance and a fire depot, uh, moving the ticket booths, um, a banquet hall. Um, the other thing they're going to replace and do the bathrooms, I believe that's on slate for next year, uh, for 2021. Yeah. I think that's um, way too much for them to get involved with. Yeah. Before. No, it, this is, seems like a five to seven year plan is kind of the time frame It sounded like, I don't want to put a solid timeline on anything and back Mike into a corner or any of them and have, you know, all the haters. Yeah. These are, these are just plans. They're not like, yeah, nothing is completely set nothing in stone solid yet. set in stone yet. Um, but they did talk about potentially paving the track within the next few years. I don't um, remember the last time that place was paved. Wasn't it like late 80s when the Quarterwegs owned it? I believe so. Um, I want to say 88. I can't even remember. I'd have to go back and watch Sid's documentary. Yeah, go back and watch the Vault Productions documentary on the Speedball. <laughs> um, YouTube. There's a lot of great plans. It sounds like they would like to open in May. Um, but I think realistically it would probably be more like June. Well, so, I mean, there's always something that could come up. Right. You know, it's everything is tentative. So th there's a lot of nice plans. That everything's in progress. They do have building permits. They're right on the front of the uh, office as you pull up if you want to go and take a look for yourself if you don't believe. Yeah, you took pictures of them and posted on your Facebook, right? Yes, I took a bunch of pictures, and I made sure to take a picture of the building permits for everybody to see. <laughs> everybody will be like, well, it's not all the building permits that they need. Because, you know, everybody just wants to come up with something negative at some point. I really, what I want to see is, I want to see them, like, fixing those exit and entry gates onto the onto the track. I think having a turn two gate was a really cool idea until Doug Curry went through it. Yeah, I think engineering-wise, I think that wasn't planned out the best. Um, I it, think things can be done to, to strengthen the structure of the gate. I think that's more the problem than anything else and, and where it butts up to the wall. Um, the overall design I think is good, but I just think there was a little bit of a weakness there and that's probably what caused the issue with that. Yeah. I mean, the gate itself was built far under the load that we needed it to be. Right. 
And uh, I don't know if they really just they just didn't know it at the time, but that's just something you don't really want to overlook at that it's point. Probably pretty hard to calculate how hard a car hits the wall. Yeah, I'd say so. So you you kind of taking a a shot in the dark at that, I would assume. I, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a builder, so I don't really know, but uh, I would assume it's kind of a shot in the dark to to understand how much structure you need, and they probably just need to add a little more structure there. Yeah, but where they had the the old gates like the turn three gate and the turn four gate which would end up being the widow maker um it was actually a good place for the turn three gate not a lot of people would get into that thing yeah i think part of the problem with that though is they got the billboards on the back stretch um and they would have to cut into the little hill behind the back stretch wall there and i don't think they wanted to go too crazy and start taking down billboards and moving a whole lot of stuff so they they did it right before the billboards start and it just happens to be one of those spots where you get you get out of control, you're, you're going to hit the wall there. So while Phil's looking for those pictures, Nicole, what would you like to see at the Speed Bowl if they had something that they could put up? Hmm. I know, that's a hard question. Yeah, that is a hard question. Um, <laughs> grandstands? <laughs> um, like, I wonder if they would put up a luxury box. Oh, that'd like, be super cool. Like, do you think that they would have two sets of grandstands? Because I heard the original plan was to have, like, a some, what something down the middle, like part the grandstands on the front stretch and have something in the middle. Yeah, so what I saw some hand-sketched plans just sitting there uh, on the table yesterday. Uh, and I don't know if these are the official submitted plans. I assume not based on what they were. Um, but it looked like they're going to have two sets of grandstands, one to the right and one to the left of the start-finish line. And then they're going to have um, a concession stand with the tower built above it in the middle. Um, and it sounds like the, the grandstands are probably going to hold. I don't know what the place used to hold with the existing grandstands. I think grandstands. it was about 8,000. Yeah, it, it looks like they're cutting that in half, but don't quote me on that. It looks like the place is probably going to hold 4,000 to 4,500 people when it's all said and done. Really? But, they're going to cut down the amount of grandstands or do you just think it's... I think the grandstands are going to be substantially smaller, but hmm. at the same time, how often do we see grandstands at any racetrack around here? Stafford, Seekonk, Waterford, Thompson. How often do we see them completely full anymore? World Series. Yeah. Maybe one <laughs> one race, two races a year. World Series, uh, Sizzler maybe. Um, big races. Yeah, Just they, big, big shows. They still have the big area along the fence over in turn one where you can stand along the fence and... and the, the one great plug? thing about Waterford is, unlike the other tracks, you can, in a lot of spots, pull your trailer right up to the fence. And when you're racing, you can just walk right up to the fence and watch the cars. I used to sit on the hood of the truck. Yeah, so they, I don't think they need the, the grandstand access like a Stafford or a Thompson does. Do you think they're going to put the corner grandstands back? Like they had a little grandstand over in turn one, and then they had a little one off in turn four, little red grandstands. The one in turn four is still standing. It still exists. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know, and I would have to look back at my photos, but I don't remember if the grandstands for turn one are still standing. I don't think Looking they now, they, they are standing. Yeah. Hmm. So they still have the grandstands in turn one and in turn four. Huh. So it's just the main straightaway grandstands that have been taken down. The turn four grandstands are tough to see down. If you sit in them, you can't really see down the front stretch very well. I think they since they put in the new work. fence, yeah, since they put in that new fencing, it's actually easier it, for me anyway to see through the fence. 
Oh, you don't like the old fencing? The chicken wire? Yeah, you don't like that? That scared me. I remember I would never watching sit in the first five rows of the stands there. <laughs> I remember being a kid, geez, late eighties, early nineties, like young kid, like five, six years old, and seeing a modified flip up and hang on one of those poles. I think it was that, in was, tw- that was pretty bad. <laughs> I think in twenty twelve when Al Stone brought his SK, and I'm sorry, Al Stone, you're you're not gonna like this story, memory. Um <laughs> but when he brought his SK to the bowl for the first time and he got sent through the infield and I believe the infield was wet and he didn't have a was lot it? of control over the car and he slammed into the turn one wall and i i remember i was standing there and he got a little air coming off and i jumped back 10 15 feet i saw sean monahan do that once in a late model i want to say the early 2000s like well mid 2000 like 2005 something like that got caught in the right rear went up and hit the wall like driver's side first and was airborne going over the lip and i was like holy crap it was one of the biggest hits i've ever seen yeah, I I remember a NEMA flip there, I think in 2012 as well, and it I was helping Bill McNeil at the time, and he would park his trailer right up against the fence, and we we all jumped back because the NEMA, it, it bounced off the fence, and we thought it was going through it. Well, the only good thing about that old chicken wire fence was, it's too bad we can't ask him anymore, but Bob Potter took it down in turn two. He just went, hopped over it, and just kind of laid on it, and it just kind of laid right down, and he just... Okay. Like straight up and over it. Yeah, I wasn't around <laughs> for that one. I wasn't there for it, but I probably was alive for it. I don't remember what year it was. But, yeah, I think all, all we're saying is that, yeah, the fencing is way better now. It's oh, it's substantially better. better. They have safety wire. They have everything they need there. Do you think that you'll see the Speed Bowl bringing the track up to this generation with, like, in terms of sound or safer barriers or other stuff like that? So we we talked about the sound system a little bit. Um, they do have future plans for that. Um, they talked about possibly using Bluetooth speakers uh, or hardwired. They're not sure yet. I would hardwire it, in my opinion. I would as well, only because of technology today and everybody's access to Bluetooth. You know some idiot's going to hack into the sound system with their laptop. Yeah, and it be could like... turn into a mess. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it all depends on what they want to do. I know the... There were complaints about how the the microphones would handle on track uh, interviews, which won't be conducted anymore. I believe Victory Lane will now be done in the original Victory Lane over there in Turn Four. Well, the original Victory Lane used to be on the track. Then they moved it to Turn Four. Original. Then they put it back on track. Yeah, original to me. I remember Turn Four. I've only been going to the Bulls since 2012. It was on. Well, when I was a kid, it was on track. Then Terry Eames bought the place and moved it over to turn four. Then he brought it back to the front stretch, or somebody brought it back to the front stretch, and now they're going to move it back to turn four. Whatever. As long as they have victory lane, I don't really care where it is. Yeah, I think I think the reason behind not doing it on the front stretch, and I could be completely wrong with that, but what I understood was they're not going to do any interviews on the front stretch anymore because there's not going to be access for Matt Buckler or, or Joe Koss or whoever it might be. I don't know who the announcers would be Getting going down forward. From, you'd have to bring stairs over. And well, there's not even going to be track access from the front stretch fence anymore because of the raised pad and because of how how the blocks have been laid in place. So they You're gonna, only going to be able to get into the flag stand. Are they going to bring it like Stafford like up and back a little bit and it, then have it behind the track a little bit higher up? So state of Connecticut requires you to be 20 feet back from the racing surface. So the yeah. grandstands are going to sit back 20 feet, but Waterford the blocks was, at Waterford are right against the fence. Waterford was grandfathered in at about eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight is it a... really close. Yeah. Eight's a <laughs> modest number. 
Yeah, I used to. I would be walking down the front stretch during. I I remember one time when we raced there, I was walking front stretch right behind the flag stand with a late model race, and somebody got hooked right into the fence right in front of me, and I got plastered with like parts coming off the car and I made it a hot point. water, and I was like, nope, not again. I made it a point anytime I walked down that front stretch in front of the stands to make sure if I'm walking, my face is to the cars. I never walked with my back to the cars because I wouldn't of that either. Fence. I would never do that. I would actually cut right down through the middle of the grandstand. Yeah, so I would I walk wouldn't, through the back. Yeah, I would, I'd go through the back. <laughs> but yeah, 20 feet, yeah. Yeah, they definitely lost that grandfather clause when they took the grandstands down. But I think one of the things they're talking about also is when they take down the fr- existing front stretch speakers um, and replace them, they're going to take the existing ones and move them to the pit areas. Well, that would be cool. So, yeah, there's... Because the this coverage, speaker system is pretty much non-existent in the pit area right Yeah, now. it's very difficult to hear out in the pit area. Um, so it would be nice to have more speakers back there. Cause I only, especially in, I believe it's the strictly pits. Uh, is I forget that the what south pits? I forget if they're north or south. I never paid attention. All I knew was dirt pits and south mod pits. I'm terrible at directions <laughs> anyway. I have a GPS in my truck for a reason. Yeah. Like I said, when I raced th- or when we raced there for however long we did, it was dirt pits and mod pits. Yeah. That well, was dirt it. pits. We'll call it that. I just call it the dirt pits because I don't call it anything else. Oh, north or south? No, I don't go north or south. It's dirt pits. Dirt or mud pits. <laughs> but, yeah, the last time I raced there was a few years ago when Beamer first owned it, I think. We went to the first race. Yeah. And I think I dabbled in a couple other little races here and there. But the pit speaker situation was akin to somebody with a megaphone standing in the tower. Like, it was pretty bad. Like, we were like, what the hell? What were they saying? I can't hear what they're... Who's going out next? And we just look around for whoever drives up, and we just get in our cars. Right. So hopefully they do something. I, I believe they will, and, and it's nice that the track is in the hands of someone that cares. And, and You can't say he doesn't. No. he, he I know he <laughs> has a, a strong desire to make that one of the greatest racing facilities in the Northeast. And it and very I, I f- well could be. I feel like he'll stop at nothing to make sure that happens. Yeah. And I hope he does. Yeah. I know there's a lot of negativity around it, and it's easy to get on, on your keyboard and, and bash the place because you're not getting the answers that you want to get. Yeah, but, and you can, you can be as, you know, social justice as, as you want to be and be as, you know, high and mighty and stuff, but just go to the damn racetrack, people. Yeah, the, the <laughs> gate's open. You can go down. You can see what's going on. You can... You go Take watch a look the, at the the permits in the window if you want. Like the racers are the ones risking their ass. You know what I mean? It's they're the ones putting a whole ton of money into entertaining you. Pay the bucks, go and watch the race. Who cares? Right. I mean, yeah, you you don't have to agree with what the guy did at all. Nobody agrees with it, you know. But it's neither here nor there. Go to the track. Everybody's got skeletons. Just the, go to the track. The bottom line for me is that if you love it, support it. Right. Because once it's once, Once it's, it's gone, it's gone forever. Yeah, you'll never get it back, yeah. especially here, especially in Connecticut and in Waterford. It will never, ever come back. And that goes back to what you said before, taking things for granted. Right. You can't just expect it to be there tomorrow. Because it, it won't be. I've seen way too many things go away. Norwood, Danbury, Riverside, yeah. Westboro. That's just around here. Yeah. Much less everywhere else. I remember back in the day... Now I sound old because I said back in the day. I wish I hadn't said that. But they used to, this was back when Riverside was still running and a lot of other places were still open. NASCAR had a set amount of um, sanctions that they would hand out to tracks. 
Like you would have the only way you could get a NASCAR sanction is if another track closed with a sanction and left one open. There was almost a bidding process for it. Right. Now they're like, oh, you want it? Okay, here. Because so many tracks are closed that they <laughs> they don't have to have an exclusive amount. Well, and as as much as I, I like the NASCAR sanction uh, for certain reasons, uh, I don't think we need it. Unless you're going to be able to run for a national title like we did back in 2012. Yeah. It's useless. Yeah. I mean, the insurances that, that NASCAR provides the track is a nice thing. It's great for the track and, and for the racers, but it's really not a necessity. You know, you can purchase an insurance policy that protects everybody as well. So, Yeah, I mean, Seekonk lasted forever without NASCAR, and then they said, you know what? Maybe we want to bring in something big. I believe they were NASCAR, and they got away from it. And yeah, I, they were. I don't were. know what the reasoning was. It's the same thing as Waterford. They were, and then they weren't. Now they are again, you know. I wonder if Waterford would ever have that opportunity, like if they would ever like entertain the idea of bringing it back. Because didn't they lose it, or did it get like did they just not buy into it? I'm not sure on the specifics of that, and I don't want to speak wrong. Yeah, I don't either. Because I thought they got it taken away or something. Like Inex went away, you know what I mean? And then they came back, and I don't know. It's just a fiasco. I don't necessarily know if Inex is back. Well, they run Legends cars, didn't they? Yeah, but it may not be under Inex uh, sanction. It may just be their own thing. I thought you had to have some kind of Inex sanctioning to run Legends cars. I don't think so. I'd have to look into it. I don't know. Anything else on uh, Waterford? No. Build us a press box. Build a so press. Build it. a good press box. Maybe a luxury suite, and you can sell some ad space and get people up there. Yeah. yeah. They, no, they they plan to have. That would be a good thing. Yeah. Build a press box. Build a good luxury suite. All right. Let's close this thing up. That's our show for today. I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you to Nicola Rose for coming by. It's our first guest. Thank you for coming in. I'm glad I actually had something set up for you to talk into instead of like sharing a microphone or like being on Facebook Live or something weird. Thank you for thinking of me. Yeah. Inviting I, me on. I really wanted to have Brian O'Shea. We should give him a shout out because he won the Enlaro Photo sponsored draw this weekend. I gave him a me- or I sent him a message. He didn't reply. I don't think he uses Facebook like at Not all. Really. That's the only way I could get a hold of him. So sorry, Brian. I did give you at least a little shout out. He races at Wall Stadium. I don't know what division it is though. It's like a factory stocks. Factory stock. Well, that should help him out a lot. So yes, uh, you can find Nicole at at Enlaro on Instagram or at Enlaro Photo on Instagram. Uh, my Facebook Nicola Rose or Enlaro Photo on Facebook. Twitter is irrelevant. <laughs> don't follow me on twitter follow try track mods block you. on everything yeah she'll block you like she blocked phil yeah phil is bothersome <laughs> phil where can they find you at uh at p jakes racing on all major platforms you're probably gonna have to spell that out spell j-a-c-k-e-e-z <laughs> jack says everybody says it yeah uh at p j a c q u e s racing yeah, because I've heard it as Jacques, I've heard it as Jakes, I've heard it as Jock. I've heard it as, Mine's N-L-A-R-O, Yeah. by the way. I've heard it as Jackass, and maybe sometimes that's appropriate. It is true. I'll take you, it. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, finally fixed our feed, so we're on there again, and Anchor. 
you can get us on Instagram now instead of going to my personal account, which nobody's messaged me on, so I feel really lonely. <laughs> but we are at uh, Making Laps Podcast on Instagram, and we are at Facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. You can also find us on our, uh, well, my team's racing webpage. It's at GleasonBrosRacing.com. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>